Welcome to the Being Human podcast with Amelia Vegting and Jez Francis. Brought to you by Just Add Water. Hello, I'm Jez Francis. And I'm Amelia Vegting. Welcome to the Being Human podcast, where we explore what it means to be human in this world we find ourselves living in. Here we are again, Amelia, recording episode two. And despite my involvement in episode one, <laughs> people appear to have enjoyed it. So you know what that means. We're in difficult second album territory. How are we going to avoid what's also known as the sophomore slump? <laughs> yeah, the pressure is on. Well, today we're going to be talking about buildings and how we as human beings interact with them. A little bit later, we're going to be joined by the fantastic Julian Lipscomb, the award-winning architect behind some amazing places around the world, to explore his passion for placemaking, humane architecture and low-carbon design. So, Jez, speaking of buildings, how has the design of a building stood out to you in the last couple of days? Um, I've been thinking about this. My teenage daughter, who is a huge Tottenham Hotspur fan, took me to watch them play in the FA Cup against Portsmouth just the other week. So she'd been asking me to take her to a Spurs game for some time. And I've sort of been sticking my head in the sand uh, for one reason or another. That probably won't come as any surprise no, no, to don't you, worry, Amelia, someone that knows me. Um, <laughs> but probably because of my recollection of some fairly boisterous crowds at the handful of football matches that I'd been to in my youth. But as is so often the case at our house when I do that, the decision was taken out of my hands. Um, <laughs> so she, she joined the Spurs online bought two tickets and told me we were going. <laughs> nice. Love that from Lily, making it happen because she wanted to go. Yeah. My dad used to take me to Craven Cottage to the Fulham games. Me and my brother and my dad all had season tickets and used to go with some of our family friends as well. So totally get Lily's desire to go and watch the football and be a part of that. How was it? It was brilliant. We had a fantastic day together. Um, certainly I enjoyed it. I, I think she did too. <laughs> Uh, a very special father and daughter moment. So why am I telling you this? So you asked me about bu how buildings had stood out to me. Well, that, that new stadium is absolutely spectacular. I think mm -hmm. it opened in, in 2019 and it's won a long list of international architectural awards and design mm -hmm. prizes, I believe. You know, so as, you, as you're sort of walking up the road towards it, it's imposing, it's majestic, it, it sort of dominates the skyline uh, and it really stands out as a destination. And yet once we were inside... You know, despite my misgivings about crowds, I felt really relaxed and really comfortable. And whilst it was busy, at no point did I feel that it was, you know, desperately overcrowded. Um, we were just able to move around really quite easily whenever we needed anything, a drink, a snack, a coffee or the loo mm. in my case. <laughs> they just seemed to be there in front of us. And then for the game itself, yeah. although we were up in the gods in the cheap seats, you somehow didn't feel far from the action at all. The, the noise, the sound, the acoustic, mm. the volume, it was just a really, really exciting experience. And the building itself and its design definitely contributes towards that. So it was my daughter's first Spurs game and mine too, I have to say. Is there a risk that she's going to want to go more and well, more I and did, more now? She did. When I looked at how much it had cost <laughs> and then she said, can we go every week? I did. I think the blood drained from my, <laughs> drained from my face. What about you, Amelia? Um, have any buildings or places struck you for a particular reason over the last few days? So actually, I was having a conversation only the other day about how 
beautiful and interesting train stations are. Mm. Um, there's something quite powerful about where a train station sits within a city. And some of them are absolutely gorgeous in terms of their architecture. But, you know, where they sit and their use for, at times, millions of people going through them. And I think then there's also something on the other end of the spectrum about train stations that are in um, smaller towns and places, some perhaps a little tired compared to what they what they used to be, but they've all got their character and are such an important part of connecting those people who live in those small communities to where they need to be, where they're going and what journey they're going on. Train stations, no matter where you are, are an integral part to connecting people both towards their future and also their past. That's so true. I think there's something really magical about stations and the railway. It takes us where we're going, but, mm. but there's also a really strong link to a more simple, less frantic past, for sure. Interestingly, stations have, for me at times, really sort of amplified my, my mood as well. So I remember in a, in a former life, you know, arriving at King's Cross in the morning uh, and, and arriving there would sort of signal the start of my day, Yeah, which at the time wasn't a particularly happy experience from a work point of view but then in the evening arriving at the station would be you know that would flag the start of my escape home um, time yeah home time <laughs> a sense of freedom it would breathe life into me again and energy into me again so stations absolutely i think are great examples of buildings that can connect with our moods and our emotions and the context that we find ourselves in in any given situation you're so right about they hold an emotion and that triggers back and they are a, can be a stunning piece of architecture that connects so many different places and people together and enable us to do so much. Um, so I think, yeah, that's probably my observation of buildings over the last couple of days. One of the things that seemed to go down well with um, those people that listened to our last episode, and I'm still I'm still not sure that this is a good thing, was the um, it was the celebration of the frankly mundane moments of our lives as human beings that we felt needed more airtime. Yeah, so let's give the listeners what they want, Jez. Yeah, hashtag Mr. Brightside. Yeah, here we are again playing boring things about me. You you kick us off. Tell us a boring thing about you recently. I'm quite. I'm actually quite proud about this one. Oh dear! In our house, <laughs> we have argued for years about the correct way to put cutlery in the dishwasher. I have, since my earliest recollection, been 100% convinced that knives and forks and spoons should be put into the cutlery crate. Is that for, the official term? Well, for want of I don't know what the term is, but for want <laughs> of a better word, um, sort of handle down, so sort of pointy end up. Interesting. To ensure an efficient wash. However, members of my household have consistently ignored my recommendations over the years and at times I'm sure to wind me up on purpose, particularly my kids who, on the very rare occasions they do help loading the dishwasher, delight in doing it wrongly, in my opinion. Mm. So the other evening I cracked. Oh, God. Yeah, and I did what anyone in my situation would do. I Googled it. <laughs> and uh, rather worryingly, the, as soon as I started typing it, the, the question sort of auto-completed. So you're and, not alone no, in, I, in trying to discover the no, correct way to no. fill a cutlery crate. <clears throat> so it turns out that I've been wrong again um, all these years. <laughs> Safety, speed of unload and reduced germs all counted in favour of the 
pointy end down strategy. And there's even negligible difference in the quality of wash, apparently, as well. So so there we are. I haven't told my family yet, of course. Um, wait until they listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say, I'm I'm with your family on that one. So you, you think I'm wrong as well? Yes. Okay, well, look, there we go. That's a boring thing about me. Amelia, what about you? Tell us a boring thing about you, please. So when it was snowing um, last month, I was setting off on my commute on my day to work and as I was at the front door I thought oh I'll do a lovely thing for the flat and I'll take the bin bag down with me on my way I know bin bags as well it's a sort of double whammy for boring things about me (laughs) Um, but anyway so got to my front door and there's about a three meter gap from the door to where the bins are at the front um, of which that was completely covered in snow so my concentration um, obviously after having taken a picture of the lovely snow to put my Instagram yeah, story, obviously. obviously. Yeah. Um, the concentration started of walking in the snow, not slipping. I am now at three quarters of the way to the station and I still realise I am <laughs> holding my bin bag that I have not put in the bin, of which I go, right, what do I do now? Proceed to walk all the way back to my flat, passing industrial size bins that are on the side of the street. Yeah, on the way back to put the bin back in my bin to then walk back to the station again, which then ended up making me late for work. But bins and snow is a harder task than I thought it was going to be. Brilliant. Okay, Amelia, shall we talk about why we chose buildings then as our topic for today? Yes, great idea. I think it's fair to say that you and I, Jez, if we put our cards on the table, neither of us know very much at all about the design of places or anything about architecture. Um, But we're curious because like almost every human being on the earth today, buildings are a part of how we live our lives every day in so many different ways. Yeah, it's a very good point. You know, from the trip to the shop to buy a pint of milk Mm. to those once-in-a-lifetime moments, births, weddings, the departure point for adventures as we were talking about earlier on, and the moment when we say goodbye to our loved ones and celebrate their lives. Yeah, I think when we got talking about this, we both felt this interest to the idea of exploring how physical spaces in which we live, we work, we play, influence both our emotions and our physical health too. So we know, for example, that access to nature is great for dealing with stress. Mm. So can variation in architectural design reflect the naturally occurring complexity of green spaces and so help to soothe our troubled minds? And how can the design of buildings help us to overcome the awful experience of feeling alone and isolated in some of the most densely populated places we know? Can buildings and the way they're designed encourage more social connection and all the good that comes of it? Some fantastic questions there, Jez. Um, Ones that we don't have the answers to and many others that we thought of, um, but we do know a man that might. So let's welcome Julian Lipscomb to the Being Human podcast. Julian, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Before we dive into your world, would you mind if we asked you a couple of questions just to help us and our listeners get a feel for who you are and what makes you tick? Absolutely. Go for it. First of all, um, what brought a smile to your face in the last few days? Am I allowed to mention football? Yes. You are. Well, I'm, I'm a lifelong Southampton supporter through thick and thin, mostly thin. <laughs> in the last week, I've been subjected to one of the worst performances I've ever seen 
and then one of the most glorious performances last week. So in the course of a week, we go from major losers to giant killers, and um, it just sort of, I don't know, charts something about the human condition, I suppose. It's uh, <laughs> you know, the full range of emotions. Uh, my word, it's character building, and <laughs> it's uh, it teaches you something about loyalty as well, a great human <laughs> quality, I think. <laughs> Funnily enough, we were just talking about a, uh, a football experience I had not so long ago with my daughter, so um, it brought a smile to my face when you mentioned that. Julian, do you have a favourite quote? Who said what and why do you like it? I love quotes. I really do. The only problem is I have the brain of a goldfish and I can never remember <laughs> them. Um, so I, I've got books and books of quotes. Um my my mum passed away recently, just before Christmas, um, and so I've been thinking about that a lot and reading mm. around that and the subject mm. of loss and things mm. like that. And there was a really lovely quote that I came across the other day. Um, it's by somebody called Emily Dickinson, and it's um, it says, Unable are the loved to die, for love is immortality. Mm. Um, and that just struck me as really amazing because, you know, my my siblings, my dad and I have been talking a lot about, you know, the life of our mum, uh, mm. wife, you know, her presence in, her, in our lives is still, you know, very much there. Um, she may have gone, but she hasn't left us. Um, so, yeah, and that, that just seemed to, to sum it up very beautifully, very poetically. Yeah. Sorry to hear that, but thank you for sharing that. That's really nice touch to to think of family members that might not be with us, but their presence and who they are as a person always stays with us. Yeah, absolutely. Their influence on our lives goes, you know, is, is never ending. Another question for you, and we happen to actually be chatting about trains a little bit earlier on, but if you were to sit next to someone on a long train journey, who would you want it to be and what would you talk to them about? Could I ask for two people? Oh, Jez, what do you think? I think we'll allow it, yeah. <laughs> it's two people, one theme. Okay. Um, and it's something that's captivated me all my life. You know, I was four years old when uh, Neil Armstrong stepped on the moon, and it's just stayed with me ever since, the kind of the wonder of that adventure. Um, mm. And so I think I would like to sit on a train with Neil Armstrong if we could bring him back from the dead and, um, you know, talk to him about what was it actually like, what did he see? What did he feel? I'd be, I'd love to know a little bit more about that. And then the person I'd love to have sitting alongside him would be one of my um, heroines is Catherine Johnson, who is the NASA mathematician who did a lot of the incredibly complicated maths, um, mm. which enabled Apollo 11 to do what it did and to come back safely. And she was a woman in a male-dominated world. Mm. Um, she was also a person of colour in a white-dominated world, and so she, and she did extraordinary things, and I've always greatly admired her. That's a, a good duo to have with. We'll allow that on, on this occasion. Thank you very much. <laughs> Julia, what did you want to be when you were growing up? Can you guess? An astronaut. Absolutely, <laughs> an astronaut. Yay. And thereafter, I wanted to be a pilot. When I realised that astronaut probably wasn't going to be the thing I could do, then pilot was my next <laughs> obsession. And actually, I, you know, I tried to get into the RAF. I tried to get into commercial airlines, and I, I sort of, uh, I wasn't quite up to the mark. My coordination wasn't quick enough. So my dad, for the only time in my life, intervened. And he said, "Well, don't sit around at home moping. Get out there, do something, and then by all means, go back and try again." So mm. I went down the list. I think it was called UCA in our days. Yeah, yeah. The UK. I, I went down the UCA list. I was in the A's, came to architecture, and I thought, hold on a second, well, my, my brother's an architect, 
my brother-in-law is an architect, my dad always wanted to be an architect, I'll give that a go. And 30 or 40 years later, here I am. Before we do dive into um, all sorts of things in your world of work, can we just hear what is the most boring thing about you? Naturally, I couldn't think of anything. But then as soon as I asked my family, it was a kind of stream of things that came out. But the one that seemed to come up consistently is um, obsession with mowing the lawn. Nice. Do you mulch, Julian, or do you collect your sort of grass clippings and, and sort of dispose of them? I don't even know what the word mulch means. <laughs> Jess, I don't mulch. I wish I could. I wish I did, but I don't. Um, we don't quite have the room for that, but uh, I should. It's the next stage of my obsession. Brilliant. Well, look, I thank you for <laughs> thank you for answering those questions so honestly. I think uh, we have an insight into who you are and what makes you tick now. Let's move on to your work. Can I ask you to explain what you do and, more importantly, why? Uh, so I'm an architect. Um, but I'm also an urban designer. Um, so I so operate at different kind of scales from buildings all the way up to large parts of cities. Why do I do what I do? It's not just because I couldn't get in to be a pilot. Um, <laughs> I do it because I, I love what I do. I'm passionate about what I do. Um, I like the thought of creating buildings and places and spaces that genuinely improve the quality of people's lives to make people feel included mm -hmm, to make yeah. people feel welcome yeah you know one, one of the things about what we've all just been through is i think we've all realized how important you know coming together is um mm -hmm. it's reminded us that we are social animals <laughs> that we need to be together we thrive when we come together and so if we can create buildings and spaces <clears throat> that support that then, you know, that's why I do what I do. Have you got a, an example or piece of work that you've been involved in that can sort of bring that to life for us? Probably the best example I can think of is um, is King's Cross, um, mm, okay, uh, yeah. which is a scheme that, you know, that we have been involved in. We're not responsible for the master plan or the, the placemaking there. Uh, others have done that and they've done it absolutely brilliantly. The streets are alive, the streets thrive, the streets are really nicely proportioned, they have good daylight, they have other things like that. And the spaces that they connect are really good, they have a magnetic quality to them, they pull people in. But you can you can find those kind of qualities in a lot of modern regeneration schemes. Yeah. The thing that particularly appeals to me about King's Cross is, I would argue, that it is a fundamentally London place. There's just something about the bones of that place that when you're in it, you're, I, I always find I'm very clear I know where I am. Now, obviously, I know where I am, but I, I would, <laughs> you know, with any visitors that I take with me and I take people regularly to look at it because I think it's such a brilliant example, they get that sort of vibe of it's, you know, that energy of London, that sort of, you know, the quirkiness of London, the historical core of buildings at the heart of King's Cross, which just gives, you know, those kind of connections, but also speak about you know a lot of those buildings in the, the heart of king's cross are to do with you know victorian times that whole process of getting food and goods into mm, the city yeah. to feed the people of london and the buildings that were created for them are very beautiful in their own right 
but the people creating them never imagined that a building like the Granary, which was designed to uh, process grain and get it into the streets of London, would become one of the most eminent arts universities in London and the world. Yeah. You know, yeah. So there's that kind of lovely sense of buildings that have one purpose on day one, and then they go on to have different purposes throughout the entirety of their their lives. Yeah. But they have that. An evolution, yeah. And they have all of that sort of history within their bones. And what, when we are taking historic buildings like that, what we try to do is to keep as much of that story, as many yeah. of those memories or ghosts, as you might, you might call energy. them. The There's an energy about the, the, the past. Yeah, absolutely yeah. right. Some people will be very conscious of it. Some others will be just walking around not knowing quite why they're getting mm. the reaction or the emotions that they're getting. But you just feel it in a sort of... Um, a sort of visceral way and i think yeah. that's that's for me when you know when architecture and placemaking gets super exciting when you're starting a new project um that's involving placemaking where do you begin with something like that like who is it that you you know you need to speak to i mean the, the most important thing is to go to any sort of new opportunity with with an open mind and with open eyes and very very importantly open ears mm. i know places in this country pretty well but you know we're doing quite a lot of work abroad in places like Greece and India mm-hmm. and so the most important thing is to have every every sense alert so that you're absorbing everything that needs to be taken in you don't go there with preconceptions you yeah. certainly don't as an architect operating internationally go there with a, the arrogance to think well I know this place mm. you know what this place needs is, is some of my stuff you know what you need to do is to go there and say right okay what what is this place all about what is the culture about what is the climate about very importantly indeed and create mm-hmm. buildings that speak to all of those and so how do we do that that is about collaborating with local people um, to make sure that we properly understand what we're doing you know so if i'm if i'm doing a scheme in manchester um, a lot of time spent walking the streets uh, mm. looking at what the city's all about talking to local people and you know, sort of looking at heritage and other things like that, as opposed to the work that we're currently doing in India uh, in a vastly different climate, but also working with a client who they are devout Hindu, uh, they have a spiritual belief system at the heart of their company and at the way in which they create buildings. So we have absorbed that, contemplating the impact of one's decisions based on what the gods might deem the right How thing and what's you know so the, sort of celestial yeah. concerns or you know some other you know sort of um, spiritual energy it's ju- it's just amazing yeah definitely have you got an example of you know one specific thing that you've had to incorporate in your work in order to make sure that you have included the religious aspects that perhaps anywhere else you might not have needed to yeah, there's there's a sort of a mythology that sits behind Vastu, um, and it it's all related to a, quite a lengthy story about mm. gods and a god and energy and the way in which different things are placed relative to the figure of this god on the, yeah. you know, as represented on the ground, and there are lots of examples. So that you know the god is is laying prostrate on the floor, mm. and with head in northeast corner, feet in southwest corner. So if you are doing a development 
you have to place your most sacred thing in the northeast corner. Mm. And in that part of the world, water is a really scarce resource. So you tend to put, if you've got water, you put it in the northeast corner. If you're starting a development, you started in the southwest, you know, the, the, the bottom of the body. And so all of those things are woven together into this um, you know, set of principles, which, you know, sort of um, has been a joy to work with. Yeah. So, Julian, what human qualities do you think are essential to the work that you do and why? I mean, there's lots of there's lots of you know, sort of expected traits, you know, um, creativity, imagination, endless curiosity, being empathetic to people. Uh, I think all of those are really, really important. I think the thing that I have always focused on, though, is about clear communication and very particularly listening to people. There is a, a danger when you become expert in something yeah. um, that, that all you want to do is broadcast. Yep. You don't want to receive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's fatal. You know, One of my passions in architecture is about communicating the joy of architecture in the built environment. I've spent a lot of time over the years i mean i love public speaking that's that's my uh, sweet spot um mm. but you know sort of talking to members of the public about what the built environment is all about what architecture is all about what architects want to try and achieve and so you know that whole process of you know communicating that and using language which isn't overly technical uh using language which isn't pretentious um mm-hmm. just sort of trying to talk in in plain english so that people comprehend what you're on about but also can connect you know with what you're trying to say yeah i think this listening and clear communication are skills that i come back to a lot Mm. because it's it's paramount we were wondering that, that you know and you've touched on it as well today that there's a an energy in architecture and buildings like there is in nature you know when you go on a walk and you get that energy from your surroundings how can you use buildings to sort of lift our mood in the same way that you know a walk in the woods or a walk in the mountains would yeah absolutely architecture and the built environment has the power to do that when it's when it's when we get it right mm. um there's a lovely quote by there you go. I've remembered a quote. Um, there's a lovely quote by Churchill. Uh, you may you may know. It. He said, "We shape our buildings, and thereafter they shape us." Mm. And I think Very that's true. so true that if you get if you get buildings and architecture and places right, they can start to have an influence on a, on one's daily life. There's a very large scheme that we did in the city uh, of London where the first thing we did was not to look at the buildings, but was to look at the new square that we were creating and to look at the qualities of it to make sure that at lunchtime, when people come out of their office buildings into the square, that there would be sunlight for as much as the year as possible mm. so that they can, you can sit there and have a sandwich in the sunlight. And then we shape the buildings around it to make sure that, that central civic community purpose was achieved. So playing with light is one of the key things that mm. we do. And of course, at the moment, sustainability and well-being are really, really important parts mm. of, of what we do. They are fundamental to all modern buildings and in you know, sort of large corporate office scheme at the moment. There is a big preoccupation with amenity space, outdoor amenity space, the provision of that, unheard of 10 years mm, ago. Yeah. Um, greenery, biodiversity, biophilia, healthy buildings, well buildings that that you know that have really good quality of air that make you feel inspired and invigorated by them. And having come out of COVID where we were all 
isolated in our bedrooms and uh, spare rooms and what have you. There's an even greater emphasis, I think, on creating buildings that celebrate the coming together of humanity and that facilitate as well. You know, office buildings need to change because we don't need to go to work to do work anymore. Mm. But what we need to go to buildings for is to meet our fellow human beings, to interact, to, you know, collaborate, to energize, to, you know, create. Um, that's so much easier than when we are together. And we also need to encourage people yeah. to go to the office. And so the way in which companies are set up um, and the way in which buildings have that thing I was mentioning earlier about a magnetic quality yeah. where people think, you know, do you know what? I don't want to work at home in my spare room. I would much rather go to the new, the workplace because it's exciting. It's vibrant. There's loads of people around. It's a really cool environment. Whatever it is that makes people tick, you know, that's that's one of the things that we, we need to, to focus on. So, Julian, what are some practical tips you might be able to share with us to, to help us be a bit more aware of our surroundings, to be able to tune into some of that positive energy that you you describe in the built environment the, f- the first one is to look up <laughs> yes um very true <laughs> the yeah. amount of times you're staring if, at the pavement instead yeah. of what's around you <laughs> you're staring at pavements and nowadays of course you're probably also staring yeah. at your phone and about yeah. to walk into yeah. lots of people <laughs> but before that we were you know when you were moving through cities and towns your eye would be drawn to the retail environment or the you know the, the street level Mm. But if you if you just lift your eyes up above that datum line and you look at the architecture of the buildings that sit above and the place above, you know, you, you see all kind of fresh things because you start to look at your environment and it's probably an environment you know very well. You you you, you see it afresh, you see it anew, yeah. and it just gets you gets you interested in that. So look up, look around, take in what is around you. But then also, you know, if you are Happy with what you see? Well, great. If you're not happy with what you see, well, do something about it. Get stuck in, um, you know, petition if you like, or, you know, sort of try to get involved in the sort of planning process and start to influence that and, and be active. Don't just sit there and complain. Get stuck in and try and do something. <laughs> We're very good at that, Yeah, I was going to say British yeah. people are very good at tutting at the sidelines <laughs> and not doing anything about it. That, that's been my mantra all the way along and both in my professional life but also in my in my personal life and where you know if I see something I don't like um I will get stuck in and try and do something about it so one of the things I did a few years ago was to improve the quality of one of our local schools um because a lot of the parents were complaining about the you know the poor facilities the this that and the other and I thought well just get off my backside use my professional skills and try and do something about it and we did you know the school is regenerated it's looking far better than it ever did and you know that that kind of thing is as rewarding as yeah. um you know some of the the larger scale professional things that I do so yeah get stuck in I think Julian thank you so much for giving us such a fascinating insight into the world of buildings and placemaking it's an absolute pleasure as you can tell I love talking about that kind of thing and if, <laughs> if you'd like to have if you'd like to have a guided tour around King's Cross sometime let me know and I'd be delighted to do that I think that's a, an outside broadcast. That sounds oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And it's recorded, so I can't retract it. So uh, <laughs> there, you know, we are. there you go. Brilliant. <laughs> I'm so glad we picked that topic. I had not realised um, on reflection, I definitely looked down at the floor way too much. So I'm going to be looking upwards from now on. What are you going to do, Jez? So I'm going to try and be a little bit more tuned into how 
buildings and places kind of impact my emotions and my mm. mood. Um, and I'm going to look up. I'm going to try and look up nice. more as well. I'm also going to um, try and get myself along to a local planning meeting or two. Okay. I, think. I think that's right up my street. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just to see, <laughs> to see the extent, in all seriousness, to see the extent to which people and their needs, both physical and emotional, are being considered in, in the sort of developments being proposed around us. Yeah. Well, look, Amelia, I think that's the end of episode two. I hope you've enjoyed it. I absolutely have, and I can't wait to see where we go next on the Being Human podcast. You've been listening to the Being Human podcast. Brought to you by Just Add Water. Nurturing individual brilliance. Forging collective strength. Um, I've totally forgotten what I meant, so. I'm so glad we picked that. <clears throat> Here we go. <laughs> I'd like to thank our sponsors. 